If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. I'm going to resume this morning uh, the sermon series we've been doing on the kingdom. The kingdom. Um, This has been one of the, uh, you know, I don't know about for you, but for me in seeking God and preparing these messages, this has been one of the most profound experiences in my life. Uh, uh, You know, in in case you don't know, uh, we preachers, we don't know it all. Okay, some of you knew that. We don't know it all, never will. And so uh, when God drops something um, in uh, my heart, in the heart of a, a, a preacher, a pastor, um, he takes us on a journey as well as the congregation. And so I'm on this journey with you. God is revealing new things to me as he is to you also. And uh, boy, what a privilege it is. Amen to see something new and fresh in the Word of God. I don't care how long you've been studying it, how long you've been a believer. There's always something new and fresh from the Word of God. It's, we have fresh bread this morning. Amen. Amen. Amen? Praise God for that. I want to do a quick review of the last message in the series, Kingdom Life. Uh, I like to do these reviews so we have some continuity between the messages. Uh, in the last uh, message a few weeks ago, we asked the question, What are some characteristics of life in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God? And we mentioned two. We said, first of all, the kingdom life is a blessed life. Anybody here agree with that? Amen. Uh, Jesus talked about uh, the fact that blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and blessed are those, even though this seems counterintuitive in a way, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So uh, the kingdom life, and keep in mind what we said the kingdom is, it's the, the sovereign rule of God. It's, it's the, the authority, the right to rule. And so as we live the kingdom life, as uh, the sovereign rule of God is extended and manifested in our life, we find that it's a blessed life. We also said that kingdom life is an influential life. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Uh, salt uh, flavors, salt uh, 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 protects, it, it, see, it, uh, it uh, protects from decay and uh, pr- provides a, a great service. And we are the salt of the earth. Uh, that God has placed here. Also, Jesus said, you're the light of the world. We are called to shed the light of Jesus Christ in this dark world. Amen? So the kingdom life is a blessed life, and it's an influential life. Uh, Continuing in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to be going through the sermon. Uh, We read today from Matthew chapter 5, four short verses, verses 17 through 20. Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Uh, Do not think, Jesus says, that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, 
Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Thank you, Lord, for your holy word. The title of my message today is Kingdom Righteousness, Part 1. True Righteousness. Kingdom Righteousness, Part 1. The sharper of you have figured out, that means there's going to be a Part 2 at least. You caught that, didn't you? Kingdom Righteousness, Part 1. True Righteousness. I want to... Uh, mention two words to frame our thoughts this morning uh, before I get into the meat of the text. The two words as we begin, the first word is the word law. The word law. We uh, say often, we hear often that we are a society of laws, uh, but at the risk of a massive understatement, we, don't, uh, we sure don't agree on what all of those laws should be. I don't have to tell you, Dave referenced the recent Supreme Court ruling, uh, correct ruling in my opinion, uh, that uh, the Constitution doesn't uh, even provide a, a whiff of a, a right to end a, a preborn child's life. And of course this will go to the states, uh, but thank God. Thank God, I, I posted on, on Facebook. I, I'm, I'm not, if, if you check my Facebook page, you'll find months where I don't say a word. I'm, I'm just not, I don't do that a lot. But I did post on my Facebook page a quote from uh, Psalm uh, 139, several verses there, uh, verses 13 through 16 that talk about how God saw, the psalmist said, my unformed body uh, and all the days of my life were ordained by you before one of them came to be. I believe God creates human beings with a destiny, a divinely ordained destiny. And I stated uh, on, that, uh, on that post that God is the author of life and he is alone is the one who determines the length of our days. And so uh, the battle's not over. And listen, you say, Pastor Tim, you're getting political. I, uh, I work very hard not to get political, but this is not politics, this is morality. And the word of God speaks uh, to, the, to the sanctity of life. And I don't care where it lands on the political spectrum. I will always speak out about morality. And so we need to pray that uh, things will happen at the state level. Our home state of Virginia, there's work to be done to preserve life. God-given life with God-given destinies. Amen. That's, that's not the main topic of my message. But it illustrates the fact that law is important even though we don't always agree on what the law should be. Another word I want to uh, mention that will help to focus us this morning is the word righteousness. In the original Greek, translated here into English, righteousness uh, means being in a state of approval before God, a condition acceptable to God, being in right standing with God. Now, why do I mention these two words, law and righteousness? Well, throughout the centuries, man has attempted to achieve a level of righteousness through conformity to the law. 
but this passage clarifies the relationship of law to righteousness and in so doing reveals what true kingdom righteousness is and the implications of it for citizens of God's kingdom. In other words, it tells us how God expects us in his kingdom, how God expects us to live. And so this morning I want to answer the question, what is the essence of true kingdom righteousness and what does it demand of kingdom citizens? What is the essence of true kingdom righteousness and what does it demand of kingdom citizens. I want to suggest uh, two uh, aspects and answer, or two, two answers to this question. The first is this. The essence, and this is a bit of a mouthful, so stick with me. It'll be on the screen for you. The essence of true kingdom righteousness is not only keeping the letter of God's law, but also living in harmony with the spirit of God's law. The essence of true kingdom righteousness is not only keeping the letter of God's law, but also living in harmony with the spirit of God's law. Let's uh, look into the text. In verse 17, um, Jesus said here, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, law and prophets here, taken together, refer to the whole of what we call the Old Testament. Uh, the old, what we call the Old Testament was referred to in Jesus' day as the law and the prophets. Jesus is making this statement to correct the false notion that some may have taken from his teaching. That is, that he came to do away with the Old Testament law. Jesus said some pretty radical things. And we're going to see in the, in the succeeding weeks as we move further into the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said some really radical things. And so some people may have erroneously concluded that this, this radical uh, came to abolish the Old Testament law. Jesus said nothing could be further from the truth. He said, I didn't come... Uh, to abolish the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill them. Jesus fulfills and interprets the Old Testament law. That's point number one under this uh, main point. Jesus fulfills and interprets the Old Testament law. The, uh, it's been said that the Old Testament is the New Testament in seed form. The New Testament reality with the coming of Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so Jesus fulfills and interprets the Old Testament. He said, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Second thing we need to understand is this, and uh, I've attempted to word this very precisely. The intended purpose of the Old Testament law has lasting validity. The intended purpose of the Old Testament law has lasting validity. In verse 18, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now when Jesus refers to the smallest letter, uh, in the Greek alphabet, the, the, the smallest letter is the iota. We've heard that term, haven't we? 
Uh, we communicate the idea of smallness when we say, well, it doesn't make an iota of difference, right? Something like that. Uh, that letter, iota, is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew letter, yod, uh, the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So Jesus said, not the smallest letter of it will disappear until it's fulfilled. Uh, then he said, not the least stroke of a pen. Uh, the, the, the phrase least stroke of a pen is from the Greek word horn, which was used to designate just a slight embellishment or extension of certain letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, think of the bottom of our, our letter J. You know, that little, little curve on the bottom changes an I into a J, doesn't it? So Jesus, similarly in Hebrew, he's referring to just a little, a little stroke, a little embellishment of a Hebrew letter. What is Jesus saying? Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen. In other words, not any of the law will be done away with until all is fulfilled. Uh, so the intended purpose of the Old Testament law has lasting validity. Okay? Uh, and we need to understand that. The third thing we need to understand is that the commandments must be followed, this is important, as fulfilled and interpreted by Jesus and the New Testament. The commandments of the Old Testament law must be followed as fulfilled and interpreted by Jesus and the New Testament. So, Pastor Tim, what do you mean by that? Well, Jesus uh, said here uh, in, in verse 19, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The commandments must be followed as fulfilled and interpreted by Jesus in the New Testament. Uh, certain ceremonial laws of the Old Testament uh, were done away with in the New Testament because they found their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. For example, the keeping of the Sabbath. Uh, I, I need to let you know, Sunday is not the Sabbath. Did you know that? The Sabbath, the Hebrew Sabbath was Saturday. And the Old Testament law restricted uh, people from doing almost anything. Uh, and specifically any type of work. So uh, if you think you're a Sabbath keeper and you did some lawn work yesterday, you are a Sabbath breaker. You terrible people, you. Uh, but in the New Testament, in Colossians 2.16, Paul uh, indicated that the keeping of the Sabbath had been done away with because Jesus was the fulfillment. And we could trace other ceremonial laws that found their fulfillment in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And so those have been done away with. Um, uh, Galatians 3.24 says the law meaning the law of the Old Testament, the law of, of, of God, was a guardian to lead us to Christ. The law was given to show us what sin is, and it was to lead us to Christ who can deliver us from our sin. Do we understand that? That was the purpose of the law. But the moral law, while ceremonial laws are done away with in the New Testament, the moral law remains because it goes deeper than one's actions as it has to do with the condition of one's heart. Do we understand that? So that's why I say the commandments must be followed as fulfilled and interpreted by Jesus and the New Testament. Uh, someone once said this, they described it this way. 
they said the law is the light that reveals how dirty the room is, not the broom that sweeps it clean. The law is the light that reveals how dirty the room is, not the broom that sweeps it clean. The law doesn't uh, free us from sin. We need to understand that. But it shows us what sin is. Uh, to, to relate it to uh, the issue I, I just mentioned, this abortion ruling, you can ban, as many states have and no doubt will, you can ban something like abortion by legislation. But you can't legislate people into valuing human life. Do we understand that? You can, legis you, can, you can legislate a ban on abortion, but you can't legislate people into valuing human life. That's a hard issue. So, so the, the essence of true kingdom righteousness is not keeping the letter of the law, not, not following some set of rules and regulations, but it's living in harmony with the spirit of the law. Because... God Almighty has done a work in our lives and the, the, the sovereignty of God, the, the kingdom authority of God uh, is, is being made evident and ruling in our lives. Do we understand that? So it's about the heart. It's about the heart. It's not about a law. It's not about a code. It's about the heart. We say we're following God, we're living for God. We're not just, yes, it was important in the Old Testament not to violate the Sabbath. It was important not to do all the other things that were prohibited. But the real purpose of the law was to show us what sin is, to show us that we need to have a heart after God that embraces the spirit of the law, not just the letter. And that's true today. No one can be saved by keeping a law. We're never, we're never made righteous before God because of what we don't do. We're righteous before God because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that's imputed to us. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful it doesn't depend on you? Hallelujah. But in the way we live our lives, we need to live our lives in keeping with the spirit of the law. And that leads me into uh, the second uh, point I want to share with you today. I've talked about the essence uh, of true kingdom righteousness. The second point I want to make today is the, uh, that the demand of true kingdom righteousness is to live according to a higher standard than external conformity to a code or behavior. That's another mouthful, but I'll say it again. The demand of true kingdom righteousness is to live according to a higher standard. It's very important a higher standard than external conformity to a code of behavior. Jesus said in verse 20, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This statement by Jesus would have been absolutely shocking to his hearers. Talk about shock and awe. This statement was shocking to the hearers of Jesus. Why is that? I'm glad you asked. It's because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, or the scribes, as the King James Version calls them, teachers of the law, scribes, uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were profoundly interested in righteousness. 
The scribes were the professional students of religion. They were the men who gave their full time, much like professors in a theological seminary, to the study of the scriptures and whose main objective in life was the definition of righteousness. The Pharisees were those who accepted the teaching of the scribes, their disciples uh, who put their teachings into practice, thereby aiming to achieve a life of righteousness. So you have the scribes or the teachers of the law who interpret what righteousness is and the Pharisees who make it their business to carry that out, their disciples, to carry that out to achieve righteousness. Do you understand who they are? The scribes developed an enormous written body of law to define what was right and what was wrong. For instance, the law said men should not work on the Sabbath day. So the scribes determined to define what work is. Uh, they didn't leave anything to private judgment or the leading of the Holy Spirit. Here's an actual instance of one of their decisions. A man keeps chickens. Any chicken keepers here? Okay. A man keeps chickens, and one of his chickens lays an egg on the Sabbath day. Is it right or wrong to eat the egg on the Sabbath? Well, that boils down to the question, is work involved or not? Their conclusion was that if the man kept chickens for the purpose of producing eggs, and they laid eggs on the Sabbath, Work was involved, and to eat the egg on the Sabbath was to break the Sabbath. But if he kept chickens for some other purpose, and they happened to lay eggs on the Sabbath, no work was involved, and so the eggs could be eaten without breaking the Sabbath. I kid you not. We chuckle, and it's humorous to us. But to the Jew whose salvation depended on keeping the law, it was no laughing matter. What bondage? Since the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were so devoted to righteousness, and Jesus said the requirement for entrance into the kingdom of heaven, in other words, salvation, was to have a righteousness that surpasses theirs. Okay, you have these zealots for righteousness, right? To define uh, whether or not you can eat a, an egg on a Sabbath. They're that zealous. They're all about righteousness. And Jesus says... Your righteousness needs to surpass their righteousness. Well, if that's the case, how could anyone be saved? How could anyone enter the kingdom? The answer is by having a heart alive to God that lives according to the spirit of God's law, as I just mentioned, instead of just external conformity to the law. In Matthew 23, 25 through 28, we have that scripture for you. Jesus described the scribes and Pharisees this way. He said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but inside you are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. What a, what a scathing denunciation to these pursuers of righteousness that, that Jesus gave to them. 
In the passage following our text today, and as I said, we will get more into specifics on this in subsequent uh, sermons in the series. But in the passage following our text today, Jesus illustrated how living according to the spirit of God's law holds one actually to a higher standard than just adhering to the letter of the law. And, and, and I want us to grasp that. That's the point we're making here. Uh, living according to the spirit of the law uh, is, is a higher standard than just conforming to the letter of the law. For example, uh, the law said not to commit adultery. So according to the scribes and Pharisees' code of righteousness, a man could refrain from the physical act of adultery while at the same time lusting after a woman he is not married to and he can still keep the law because he hadn't, hadn't physically violated the law. He hadn't physically committed adultery. Uh, in contrast, Jesus said that to lust after a woman is the moral equivalent of adultery. It's committing adultery in one's heart. Do, I, do we understand? That's why we say uh, living according to the spirit of the law, which is, which is what kingdom righteousness demands, living according to the spirit of the law is not taken up with, with do's and don'ts and oh, I can't do this. It's, it's, it's a higher standard because the love of Almighty God has invaded our hearts and we live to please Him because we love Him because He's done so much for us. So it's not a matter of keeping rules and regulations. It goes way beyond that. It's, it's the spirit of the law that's being lived out in our hearts. But if that's the case, how can anyone achieve that level of righteousness? That's a fair question. The answer is that no one can. If it depended on our ability, we would all stand condemned. I want to say that again. If keeping even the spirit of the law depended on our own ability, we would all stand condemned. The righteousness of the kingdom is a righteousness which only God himself can give. As the sovereign rule of God permeates our hearts, his righteousness flows from the inside out. See, that's important. I, I, I hinted at that in earlier messages. Uh, but I, I want to drive that point home this morning. Hear me, church. Righteous acts never produce a righteous heart. Never. Pastor Tim, never? Never. Righteous acts cannot produce a righteous heart. It is always, always the other way around. A righteous heart made increasingly so as it yields to the kingdom rule of God, produces righteous acts. That's the only way the surpassing righteousness that Jesus talked about is produced. Romans 3, verses 20 through 22, says this, No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That's the word of the Lord. Also in Romans 8, verses 3 and 4. 
For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Praise God. The Lord Jesus Christ did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He has imputed to us a righteousness uh, that is not of this world, a righteousness that is not of our own effort, of our own doing, of our own ability, because if it was, it would be woefully inadequate. None of us would enter the kingdom of heaven. None of us would be saved. That's why Jesus said our righteousness needs to surpass the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. It's not about a code. It's not about a list of rules and regulations. It's about the kingdom rule of God in our hearts uh, that causes us to not just keep the letter of the law, but to uh, live in accordance with the spirit of the law, which is righteousness unto God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, we, we live, listen, there has always been evil in the world. There has always been a battle. Read Romans 7. Paul talked about the battle in his own life between flesh and spirit, between the sin nature and the God nature. When God saves us, he doesn't eradicate the sin nature. Do we understand that? But he gives us a new nature. And so there's always a battle between flesh and spirit, sin nature God nature. What must we do? We must increasingly submit to the kingdom authority, the kingdom rule of God, so that his nature can be lived out in us uh, and, and provide a righteousness which surpasses that of the law, which surpasses that of do's and don'ts and keeping a code, but is in keeping with the spirit of the law, righteousness unto almighty God. That's where our righteousness comes from. That's what the demand of righteousness is. In conclusion this morning, I, I'm, I've actually never preached this passage before. It's a, it's a hard, it has some hard truths. It's a hard passage to preach, but I, I've, I just felt compelled of God that if we are to be kingdom people, we need to live lives of kingdom righteousness. Not, not the righteousness of conforming outwardly to an ancient law. Not the righteousness of what public opinion says the standard of righteousness is, but true righteousness, true kingdom righteousness. And we ask the question, what is the essence of true kingdom righteousness and what does it demand of kingdom citizens? We said the essence of true kingdom righteousness is not only keeping the letter of God's law, but also living in harmony with the spirit of God's law. That's the essence of kingdom righteousness. We said, secondly, the demand of true kingdom righteousness is to live according to a higher standard than external conformity to a code of behavior. We don't hear a lot about holiness and righteousness. But God demands righteousness of, of us, of kingdom citizens. Not the righteousness of this world, as I said, not the righteousness of keeping a code, but true kingdom righteousness, righteousness of the heart.
because his kingdom rules and reigns in our hearts.